As we've been reading the book of Revelation, three things are important to keep in mind. First, Revelation is a book about hope. Second, Revelation is about John's future, the author of the book, the Apostle John, his future, and our past. These are about events that are soon to happen, the events leading up to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD. And third, the Old Testament imagery is important for understanding the meaning of Revelation. God is drawing upon the Old Testament through the Apostle John to show that he's telling one cohesive story about one people throughout diverse times and cultures and places. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of the loose ends of the Old Testament. He's the fulfillment of all the promises that God made to his people. In many ways, Revelation functions like a final exam at the end of a semester. If you paid attention during the Old Testament class, then the final is going to make sense. It's an accumulation of all those things that you should have been paying attention to the entire semester. But if you slept through those classes, maybe like I did from time to time, the symbols are going to startle you and confuse you. They're going to make you come to weird conclusions and they're going to be just a very confusing experience. So we have to understand the Old Testament if we want to understand the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Daniel is one reservoir of imagery that Revelation draws from. It's really helpful when you understand Daniel and read it alongside Revelation to compare the two and see how one sheds light on the other. Now, the book of Daniel is of particular interest because of its apocalyptic focus on the future. Apocalyptic means this symbolic imagery speaking about how the divine realm, the heavenly realm, pierces the veil into the earthly realm, and how that affects the history of the world. So Daniel is part of God's story, and Revelation is drawing upon it to show us that the things that were left undealt with in Daniel, the loose ends of the book of Daniel, are going to be wrapped up and concluded through Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, the one who comes as the Son of Man on a cloud, receiving an eternal kingdom and eternal glory. This is Understanding Revelation. Just to sum up the journey so far, in Revelation chapter 5, Christ, the slain lamb, receives a scroll bound by seven seals that he alone is worthy to open, as in his ascension he enters into the heavenly realm, or rather returns to the heavenly realm at the right hand of God the Father. In Revelation chapter 6, Christ opens the first six seals, which depict the conquest of the gospel through the tumultuous 40-year period between Christ's ascension and the destruction of Jerusalem's temple in 70 AD. Then in Revelation 8 and 9, the seventh seal breaks open into seven trumpets, which describe additional judgments to the same period of time, but with a particular focus on the conflicts that arise out of the gospel's initial conquest. This brings us to Revelation chapters 10 and 11, which continues the sixth trumpet and anticipates the seventh trumpet. So this is all part of the prior section when the sixth trumpet is blown. You see these two key visions. You see a vision that we're going to look at today in chapter 10 of an angel with a scroll. And then in the next episode, you're going to see a vision of the two witnesses. So the seals have been broken and we're going to see in Revelation 10 this odd image uh, of an angel with a scroll talking to John, and there's various details involved with that. So to understand Revelation 10, there are three key aspects to unlock its meaning. 
First is the angel that appears, the messenger. Remember, angel can be translated messenger. The mystery and the scroll. The angel messenger, the mystery, and the scroll. Let's look at the first four verses of Revelation chapter 10. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. So John opens with a description of a mighty angel and he uses Christ-like terms, clouds, rainbows, sun and fire. These are all things we see in the book of Revelation describing Christ. These are also images that we see in the Old Testament describing God himself. Now, the question is, is this a messenger, an angeloi, an angel of Christ, or is it Christ himself? Commentators disagree. Some people say this is actually Christ appearing to John. Alistair Roberts has an interesting take, and I, I think he might be right here. He suggests, in a sense, it's, it's kind of both. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, here's why. First, as we established in prior episodes, angeloi, the word translated angel, means messenger, which does not have to necessarily refer to angelic beings. So in Revelation 2 to 3, the angels, the angeloi of the churches, I was saying, are, are the actual ministers, the bishops, the pastors of those churches. Now the spirit is a messenger. He's the one who brings the presence of Christ to people. He's a messenger for Christ, bearing his presence, which is why he has these godlike qualities, because The spirit is God, so he should be identified with imagery typically associated with God, the cloud, the rainbows, the sun, and fire. So the spirit comes as a messenger of Christ, and he comes bringing the presence of Christ, which is what Christ said that the spirit would do. Second, the messenger slash spirit's legs are like pillars of fire. Now that connects to the spirit of God leading Israel through the wilderness by a pillar of fire. There's even imagery if you think about the pillar being almost like the legs of God walking through the desert, leading Israel to the promised land. So I think that imagery is tying into the Holy Spirit as well. And finally, the angel Holy Spirit messenger stands with one foot on land, which represents Israel, and the other on the sea, which signifies the Gentiles. And we've established that in prior episodes. The Spirit binds both Jew and Gentile together in Christ, forming one new man out of two. That's Ephesians chapter 2. And this factors in later when the Jew-Gentile community of the church faces off against a false Jew-Gentile alliance with the beast and the false prophet. Whether this refers to the Spirit, an angel, or Christ himself, the focus of the passage lies in the open scroll that this messenger carries. Now, a voice cries out like a lion, and seven thunders respond with a message. But John is strangely told not to write the message down, at least not yet. He must seal it up for later, and we'll get to that in a moment. But the open scroll is the scroll of Revelation chapter 5. It seems to be a smaller version of it, but I think it contains the same contents. And remember, in Revelation 5, the scroll is bound. It can't be opened until the seals are broken. So in a sense, this is the revelation of revelation. This is the message hidden within that is yet to be revealed until the scrolls are broken. And now that the seals are broken, rather, uh, the message is finally about to be unveiled. And what we learn is that this open scroll contains within it 
the mystery of God. Let's look at verses five through seven. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. A mystery in scripture refers to something once veiled, but now unveiled. The mystery of God was announced to the prophets, but not fully realized until this very moment in Revelation. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 4 to 5 speaks of the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to prior generations, but now revealed. And this is the mystery. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul speaks of the gospel itself as the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, Romans 16, verse 25. The mystery of God is how Christ's work creates a new community in himself of Jew and Gentile by the Spirit. And Revelation eleven fifteen reveals to us that through Christ and his church, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Well, how does this happen? How does Christ's reign get inaugurated? Well, John tells us in the following chapters. But for now, we're going to have a thesis statement to help us understand what's going to happen uh, in chapters 12 and 16. The mystery of God is going to be fulfilled. And that's the revelation at the heart of revelation. How does that actually happen? Now, again, stay tuned for how that develops. But there's more at play in this passage. Remember how I said that Revelation draws on the imagery of Daniel? In Daniel 12, an angel, a messenger, tells Daniel to shut up the words of prophecy that he's just given to Daniel about the future and seal the book until the time of the end. Very important time marker. Now, in Revelation 12, another angel, messenger, brings John an unsealed scroll, which signifies what? That the time of the end has come. What was once sealed in Daniel has now been unsealed with John in Revelation. And John is expressly told not to seal up the prophecy at the end of Revelation because the time is at hand, Revelation twenty-two ten. So John unseals what Daniel sealed because in Christ, the time of the end has come. Christ has inaugurated the final phase of God's plan called the last days. This is why the Apostle Peter, in his sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he actually quotes the prophet Joel. Now, Joel prophesies that in the last days, the Spirit of God will be poured out on all flesh. Well, Peter quotes that and says, look, Pentecost is the fulfillment of that. Meaning, if the Spirit is poured out at Pentecost and the church made of Jews and Gentiles is coming into being, then this is the last phase. This is the last days. We are in that time that Daniel and Joel looked forward to. And that's the mystery of God, that the pouring out of the Spirit pours out on both Jew and Gentile, and that it is through Christ that that fulfillment comes. But there's one more connection to Daniel 12. After Daniel is told to seal up his prophecy, he asks the angel when the contents of the scroll, the mystery of God, will be fulfilled. And the angel in Daniel 12 raises both hands to heaven and swears by God that it would be a time, times, and half a time before the mystery can be fulfilled. This appears earlier in Daniel as well. A time is a year, which means that time, times, and half a time is three and a half years. One time plus two times plus half a time. So three and a half years forms what? 
half of a week. A week is seven days, which symbolizes perfection and fullness. So half of perfection is imperfection and chaos and incompleteness. So the angel tells Daniel that the mystery of God will only be fulfilled after a broken week of suffering and persecution. Now, this symbolizes the entirety of the age between Pentecost and the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. It's going to be a broken week. It's going to be a week of persecution, of chaos and upheaval. It's a time of bloodshed when martyrs conquer dragons, beasts and false prophets with the blood of their witness. And this is explaining what we see symbolically represented in the book of Revelation. What was once far off for Daniel is soon for John. The angel in Revelation 10 swears that there will be no more delay. It's happening now. It's happening soon. It's right on top of you. God's judgment will come when the seventh trumpet sounds, fulfilling the mystery of God. And that's what gets us to the scroll. After we looked at at the angel, the mystery, and the scroll, this is the scroll. Revelation 10, 8 through 10. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Why is John not allowed to write down what the thunders say? Because he must first ingest it by eating the scroll. I think what the thunders are saying is simply the contents of the scroll, and John is not told to write it down, but to seal it up to wait until he has ingested, internalized this message so that he would speak it out with his mouth before he can eventually write it down. He must internalize the message. This is not the first time a prophet has ingested a scroll, by the way. In Ezekiel chapter two, God tells Ezekiel to ingest a scroll in order to preach a message of lamentation and woe to Israel. And it tastes sweet in Ezekiel's mouth because it shows God's justice. But John eats this scroll and it tastes sweet and then it tastes bitter. Why is that? Well, perhaps John knows that God's victory comes on the heels of suffering and martyrdom. Ezekiel's message was to Israel, but John's is to people, nations, languages, and kings. It's to the whole world. That Christ has died, risen, and ascended, and the Spirit has been poured out, creating the Jew-Gentile church but this kingdom has not yet come in full. One more obstacle remains, the temple and the satanic forces that stand behind it. This is why the destruction of the temple in 780 is so crucial, because it is sort of the the blockage that is stopping the gospel from going out to the nations. First, this old system must be done away with before the new system can blossom and grow. And once that obstacle is removed, the kingdom of God can advance out into the nations out into the world to all peoples, languages, tribes, and tongues.